Hello and welcome to the Nature Unplugged podcast where we are all about inspiring wellness in the digital age. Let's get going. Welcome to the Nature Unplugged podcast. I'm super excited for this episode. We have a very special guest. So here at Nature Unplugged, we are all about inspiring wellness in the digital age. And I look at a lot of the work we do as preventative or kind of upstream mental health work. You know, things like getting outside, setting healthy boundaries with technology, exercising. And our guest today has dedicated his life to helping people with addiction, recovery, and mental health issues. We have the privilege of speaking with Dave Marlin. Dave is here to share some of his story about addiction and recovery and what we can do to improve our mental health, whether we're dealing with addiction or not. So Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, it's an honor. Thanks, Sebastian. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, me too. Well, before we jump in, I want to give people a little more background. So I'm going to, I'm going to read some of your bio. You have an awesome bio. Just I'm going to read a, a part of it. Okay. So Dave Marlin is the co-founder and chairman of Vegas Stronger, a Las Vegas nonprofit committed to helping the most underserved in our community by addressing mental health, substance abuse, substance use disorders, and getting back to a healthy, productive life. He has been honored with the mayor's commendation and just recently received the Community Counseling Center of Southern Nevada's Vanguard Award. Dave received his education in New York and Las Vegas. He earned his BA uh, in economics at the State University of New York and his master's of business administration and master's of science in clinical mental health counseling at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. A lot of stuff. Furthermore, he is a certified alcohol and drug counselor supervisor, a certified addictionologist and detoxification technician. Dave is also currently pursuing his doctorate in psychology. Dave is an active Nevada amateur boxer, which I love by the way, Yep, and an avid mountain climber and triathlete. Despite his active life, his primary role is as father to his teenagers, Owen and Tristan, and husband to Carolina. It's awesome. Great bio. And I just want to say, too, on a personal note, um, I've known you, I don't know, for eight or 10 years or something like that. It's been a little while. Started out, I, I met you through working with your son, doing surfing, yoga, and that kind of stuff, Owen. And... I just got to say that you have, you've been an inspiration to me. Um, just, I mean, we're not, I don't, we, we live in different towns so we don't see each other that often, but the things you post and every time we have a conversation, I'm inspired and want to be a better person and better at what I do and a healthier person. So I'm really pumped to talk to you and thanks for t taking the time and thanks for doing what you do. Uh, you know, a pleasure. Uh, I appreciated the years of work uh, you did with my son. Um, you helped light a fire uh, under him to really enjoy the water, to really enjoy surfing. Um, you know, the stories of your dad as a competitive swimmer, uh, the stories of you as a competitive surfer, and, and some of the things you do to take surfing to another level. Uh, you know, integrating yoga and flexibility. At first, it seemed like two totally different sports to me. 
Um, but as I got to, to watch you teach my son more and more, uh, you know, I realized how, you know, how integrated it all is. And, and, and the fact that you acknowledge that it is just as much mental as it is spiritual, as it is physical, you know, really helped uh, open my eyes to, uh, to some beauty of surfing. And, and while, you know, I, I grew up bodyboarding um, or, or body surfing on the, on the East Coast, right. you know, seeing my son, you know, really, uh, really light up uh, on the waves, uh, you know, is something I'm forever grateful for you for introducing to my son. Wow. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're very welcome. And um, yeah, he, he, he's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to catch, catch up more about him too. And it's really, I, I, I was really drawn in because he grew up early years in Vegas, right? And then he kind of came out to San Diego a little bit later. So, um, you know, a lot of the kids he was with were surfing from the get-go, but he, he, was, he was tough and, and ambitious and I really enjoyed uh, our time together in the water. Cool. Cool. Well, I want to start with a little bit of background. Um, I shared your bio, of course, but how did you if, you, if you don't mind sharing a little bit more about how did you get involved in this world of helping people with addiction and helping people recover? Uh, thanks for asking. Um, you know, my story as a, as a kid being raised in the 70s uh, and the 80s, uh, you know, I, I went and I got a degree in economics and, and I learned that the answer to life was to become a CEO and make millions of dollars. And, and that's really what I focused on trying to do. And I, I left New York at, at 23 years old and I took a job at an insurance company and I worked in progressive jobs over 20 years till I became CEO. And, and I thought that I would have then grabbed the brass ring and, you know, and I was successful. You know, I bought a house down in Del Mar. You know, I, yeah. so I had the beach house and, uh, and I thought that that was success. But there was an emptiness inside of me that I um, ended up filling with drugs and alcohol. Um, and uh, I ended up having a, a burning bush moment um, with my son actually being part of mm. where at the time he was three years old. And, uh, and I recognized at the time, I, I thought I was possessed because I couldn't rationalize why I would prefer to go drink or use rather than be with my kid. I could convince myself that his mom was a nag. That was very easy to do, but my son was perfect. You know, he was three. Um, so, uh, you know, I ended up going to a rehab. And I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how it was going to work. I, it seemed weird. I got there. I generally didn't like the people. Um, but fortunately, I was kind of out of ideas because Dave's way, you know, despite my hard work, Dave's way wasn't working. So I, I recognized I needed to find a new way. And, and um, I had become beaten down enough to be open to something else. And, uh, you know, during the rehab process, during the integrating into a 12-step fellowship, I end up becoming open to true spirituality, uh, to, to a higher power. And um, I ended up not needing to just stop drinking and using drugs. You know, I needed a whole new system of living. Right. The whole 
1970s get more right you know i learned the flaw with it you know despite the fact that i remember arguing with you know uh, religious people about how you know i live in a big house and and i could have anything i want you know my way must be better and, and i ended up seeing how thin and how empty that was uh so uh, i got sober in uh in may of, of 2005 Wow. And um, and I really began, I've had two lives. I had this one life till then. I've had this, this different life saying to myself each day, how could I serve? You know, what could I do to help my fellows? And, and recognizing that by being helpful, by being useful, more joy comes to me than I ever imagined. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that... Uh, you know, alcohol beat the snot out of me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm grateful that I found a way. And, and I've spent my life uh, since leaving the fire, running back in and pulling as many people out as I can. It's pretty incredible, Dave. It's, it's really amazing. And, you know, I, I resonate with your story, I think. And you know a little bit of my, my background about my dad. And so it reminds me a lot of my dad, you know, and uh, even though he didn't really, drugs and alcohol weren't his thing, but it was very much this, I think a lot of his, uh, he, he was fueled by this get like always more and more and more, you know, stockbroker in the eighties, that kind of stuff. And, and then kind of reached this, this place and was, wasn't fulfilled and right. And didn't really have the tools or resources to, to live the second life. Right. Which I think about yeah. so beautiful that you are, have able to, keep going, you know, and, 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 and impact so many people, which is really amazing. Yeah. I, I ended up opening up a rehab shortly after I got sober. I left the insurance company, opened up a little 10 bed rehab. And, um, over the next, uh, it was 13 years. It grew to be a 400 bed treatment center. Uh, I've, I've now helped 9,000 people in Sin City, Las Vegas, right. get separated from drugs and alcohol and, and begin a different life. And, um, you know, the little story I tell is when I left the insurance company, my last three years there, my W-2 said I made seven figures a year. So to me, in my prior day, if no one was going to say, I wouldn't say I wasn't successful, but I was empty. Right. And then the, the first five years of running the rehab, I lost money every year. Um, it, it was zero or excuse me, negative. Yeah. And without a doubt, it was the richest I'd ever been. Mm. Uh, when I, anytime I would go to the shopping center to, to get milk, I'd be walking through and people would stop me and be like, thank you so much. My wife's back. Thank you so much. You know, our daughter, you know, is, is back. Thank you. Um, and, and to me, um, that's rich. Yeah. That's useful. Um, and, and right now I'm, I'm trying to uh, leverage my 20 years of insurance work now with my 16 years of recovery work to, to really do something um, scalable in Las Vegas to help our, uh, our most vulnerable population. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and can you speak a little bit more? So, so you're now, you're still doing similar work, but you're now with Crossroads. Is that the is that sort of the, what you're talking about? The scalable thing to help. Um, about three years ago, 
uh, a guy, John Seeland and I opened up Vegas Stronger. And we were working there and we had applied for our licenses and we were kind of waiting because it takes a while to get paneled with insurance companies and approved by state and federal um, licensure folks. And uh, while we're waiting, the board from Crossroads, which is the indigent detox in Las Vegas, came to us and said, hey, would you guys come and we're about to go, we're about to close. We're, we're bankrupt. We lose so much money every month. And we we're like, no, we're doing this Vegas Stronger thing, trying to help the indigent get well. And they're like, well, we're the detox doing it. And I was like, wow, there's probably a way to integrate and do both. So wow. John and I came over almost two years ago now. So, so I, I have two jobs right now. I'm the CEO of Crossroads. Okay. And that's 182 bed, 24 seven indigent detox. And the CEO of, of uh, Vegas Stronger, which is an outpatient mental health and substance abuse treatment center that really operates in like a clubhouse model where uh, we're welcome to folks who are in the shelters to be able to get um, behavioral health care. Wow, it's awesome. Yeah, it's really amazing, amazing stuff that you're doing. I'm, um, yeah, I could go on about that. And I, and I wanna just shift gears a little bit to here. I know we're kind of coming out of this really difficult phase of the pandemic and stuff and COVID, um, but I, I'm curious to hear from your perspective, you know, and with your work, how has, has the last couple of years been? I imagine we're seeing higher instances of substance abuse and addiction and all that, all that kind of stuff. Is that been the case for you all? Um, dramatically higher. Um, you know, we saw in the pandemic initially uh, alcohol rates, the amount of alcohol being purchased in America dramatically increased. Mm -hmm. I saw uh, 40%, I saw 52% as numbers of increase in alcohol purchases by Americans. Wow. Um, we also noticed Las Vegas or Nevada approved marijuana use. We saw lines in all the dispensaries. So we know, you know, marijuana use uh, spiked. I also had able to look at laboratory um, results community-wide and the amount of substance use in the general population is, is much higher. Um, so the amount of people using benzos, using uh, amphetamines, using opiates, um, all three of those are increasing, have increased dramatically during the, the pandemic. Uh, so un unfortunately, an unhealthy coping mechanism that Americans turned to during the pandemic was substance use. Um, and, and that is now uh, a looming tsunami that is going to need to be uh, need to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and are you seeing a decline as things open up or is it still pretty intense with your work right now? Um, you know, we're, we're busy for the first time last month, we were full and, and I'm looking at acquiring some other facilities so we could expand our capacity because we need more beds. Uh, we need more services to be available. Uh, interesting story. I learned during the pandemic um, in March, I have 22 licensed clinicians that work here and uh, eight case managers, and they immediately went to telehealth where <laughs> our clients began getting their therapy, uh, you know, via a computer to keep my staff safe. Right. What happened was one of the measures that I check 
on a daily basis is the clients that leave against medical advice. Because I've learned that if people go to rehab and they leave early, 100% of the time they relapse, okay. despite what they say. Yeah. So to me, if you check into detox to, to get off heroin, it's very important that we keep you through that process if we would like a successful outcome. Right. Well, what happened was, as I try to keep that number below 5% every day. Yeah. And when we went to telehealth, despite our efforts, our AMA rate spiked at, at 27%. Wow. And I recognized that the lack of human, the lack of therapeutic relationship that we were establishing on the unit had degraded so much that we weren't able to keep people in treatment. So despite it being unpopular, I made all my staff get out of their pajamas and come back to work. Wow. Um, because as, as close as I feel talking to you here, it's different than oh. being in person. Yeah. And, and I actually got to see, uh, um, you know, a real life example of that during the pandemic. That's a, that's a wild story. And I think, you know, our take on this too is, is absolutely, we're not anti-tech. There's a place for this. There's a place for zoom. And it certainly in the last couple of years, it's been a lifesaver for education and all, and, and the ability to do some therapy and some treatment. But I think, as you said, like, that's my take is like, there's never going to be a replacement for in-person connect human connection. And I think it's, that's a, that's wild to see the data shift so dramatically. And then, yeah, I pre yeah. And you making the change to, to get, I'm sure it wasn't popular, but getting people in the door. Uh, yeah, it was interesting where, you know, I, I got threats and, and it was very unpopular for, for about a week. Yeah. And then yeah. they just adjusted to the new norm and homeostasis <laughs> arrived and oh, wow, you go to work. Um, <laughs> you know, we had PPE. So people are able to stay masked up and yeah, yeah you know, uh, sanitizing and I hired some extra housekeeping to keep stuff wiped down. And, you know, fortunately we didn't have any, any uh, outbreaks uh, of our staff, despite having, you know, 160 staff in, in this one building. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And it reminds me of, uh, so in the, in the world of, this is different, you know, you're dealing with, with substances and alcohol and stuff and, and sort of our world is a little more you know, it's like gaming and screen time and all that. It's, it's a, they're not, they're not the same, but some people do talk about some like gaming and screen time overuse as, as addiction. And I was curious if you had, when it comes to alcohol and drugs, or do you, how would you de define an addiction for people or people listening out there? Do you have like a, a way to characterize what an addiction is or not? Uh, two things. One, I believe it's the same. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe it's the same. And, and I call addiction compulsive use despite negative consequences. And, and that's really, that's the two-part test. Yeah. If you are doing something compulsively despite negative consequences, um, you have an addiction. And, and to me, you could put heroin in there. Yeah. Oh, I'm using heroin and it's hurt my body physically, my relationships. I'm getting arrested. It's hurt my job. Um, we, we can go through all those. So most people will not debate me too long about heroin addiction. Although um, I, I do, you know, get people come in and tell me that they're, you know, I'm a functioning heroin user, you know, don't try to take that away from me. That's actually the only thing in my life that works. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, a lot of my job is breaking down ambivalence to treatment, mm-hmm. helping people get awareness for their unhealthy behaviors and compulsive use of electronics, <laughs> um, you know, is, is very similar. And, and I know, um, you know, folks who we talked about today who it hurts their relationships. Yeah. It hurts their work. Um, they're less healthy physically. Um, you know, all we could still go through that behavior, that list of, of social activities, um, that it's, uh, it's compulsive uses and there's negative consequences. That's it. I appreciate you sharing that. And it's, it's such a good, uh, I had heard that sort of before, but not so simply put, you know, and it's a good barometer to be like, because I mean, that, that fits in a lot of the folks we work with too. It's, you know, whether it's gaming or, or whatever, it's impacting school or work or, so that's a good, a good thing for anything, any listeners out there who are like on the, on the fence. That's a good, uh, good, yeah, good test. Good test. Yeah. Now in the, uh, the DSM, which is like the manual that categorizes, right. you know, addiction, there's an 11 point test which we go through and so it is it's a lot more detailed but you know for you and for those at home yeah um you want to just ask yourself am i shopping too much uh you know am i engaging in in promiscuous sexual activity am i uh is my eating a problem right um are you doing it compulsively are there negative consequences if so you know you should probably take a look at it and usually our own denial mechanisms prevent us from seeing it without help, mm-hmm. which is why getting, whether it's peer support or getting a, a professional assessment to, to help you see it, to, to, uh, to get increased awareness, uh, it can be so effective. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think that's also a good segue into, I'd love to, chat a little bit more too about about solutions you know whether it's whether it's devices or gaming or substance abuse or alcohol um you know what are and we've touched on this a little bit but what are some of the most important things from your perspective uh in terms of practices for getting better and for recovery well my name's dave marlin and since you asked me the first thing i'm going to tell you is that In general, drugs are a lie. So if you're getting your neuroreceptors lit up by putting a chemical in your body, let's just acknowledge that that's a lie, that that it's not real, that to me, you know, having my son give me a hug, that feels great. You know, know, having my wife know that um, I'm honest and I'm going to do what I say and and the love we have, you know, that's real. me getting something from a, a beverage or a, or a pipe or, or in putting something in my body, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lie. And, yeah. and, and, and to me, I have found that an authentic, an authentic good feeling is, is way more powerful. That's the first thing I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I love that. The, the second thing I'd say is I have participated in the same support group for uh, the last 16 years um, and and having outside help for people when I tell them, oh, guys, I got this great idea. It's going to be this. And they could just laugh at me is so helpful because my my brain will trick me. Um, so having some outside help 
Um, I, I access it through a support group is, is really, uh, it, it's key for me. And I didn't, there's all different kinds. And whether you're getting it from your church, whether you're getting it from, uh, from Nature Unplugged Camp, whether you're getting it from Alcoholics Anonymous, wherever you're getting it from, I'm not saying how you should do it. I'm just encouraging you to plug in to a group of folks, yeah. to a group of humans uh, who, who could give you feedback on your behavior on a consistent basis. It's, it's very helpful. Yeah. Uh, third thing I will tell you um, is actually the secret to life. Okay. And I'm while ready. I was in college, I used to take mushrooms and smoke marijuana and I, and I considered myself a seeker and I was trying to find the answer. And at first I was a philosophy major and I was, I was, you know, reading Nietzsche and I was trying to find the answer. And at 40 years old, I found it. Okay. I'm ready. And, and the answer is, is help others. Mm. Um, that's actually the answer to life. It's like, while we're here on this planet, let's help our brothers and sisters. And by doing that, one, it gets me out of me, me thinking about my little desires and dreams and hopes and wants and why I was wronged, get me out of all that and let me be useful in helping one of my brothers or sisters. Um, I, I believe that is perhaps the best thing that I could do for my mental health is being of service. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. You know, it's, uh, we've, we've, we're just in the very early phases of this, but we've kind of started this bit of a pilot program on folks that we've worked with, kids that we've worked with in the past, going through the program, and then becoming guides, like guides in training, right? So it's it's pretty incredible, though, with the with the few people we've worked with that uh, they've gone through this. The shift that happens when they're all of a sudden it's not just about them or their issues or their whatever, uh, but but being of service. It's a it's. Then they step up and there's this, this, this want to, to help and to step into leadership and all that. It's really incredible to see. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I tell a story, which is probably too long for here, but to summarize yeah. it, yeah, go for I, was, it. I was coming off Denali and I, I'd been up there for, uh, it was a 21 day expedition uh, going to the top of uh, Mount McKinley. Yeah. When I was coming down, um, I fell in a crevasse. Huh. And the guide who was in front of me on my rope team, he didn't see me fall. Okay. He fell back and started sliding to me. But the guy behind me on my rope team, he saw me fall and he kicked his crampons in, threw his axe in the ground and made a, 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 a three point anchor, okay. which stopped me from falling to my death. And I use that example that I have a sponsor who I want to make sure I stay sober, you know, cause you know, one, I told him I would and, and he's been helpful to me, but I also sponsor men behind me. Right. And it's almost more important on a daily basis that I'm not going to drink cause I'm not going to let those guys down behind me. Um, so, so that, you know, I usually tell that in a much longer story, yeah, that's, but, but that's um, having your students become teachers you know, that lesson in itself, you know, that's the essence right there where they start helping others and they get that joy and they start standing up a little straighter and, and they recognize that they're a role model for, for these other people. Um, you know, that that's everything. Yeah. What, I want to, yeah, we'll do it. 
a deeper. I want to hear more of the the, the Denali adventure at some point. That's that's pretty hardcore. You made it, obviously. So, and uh, we we I did, and and I've done now thirty big mountains. Wow. Um, my my wife and I just before we got married, we went up to base camp on Mount Everest. Wow. And uh, and it was it was absolutely amazing. It was just as spiritual as it was physical. Each one of us had our. I can't go anymore moment okay, yeah. which we had to work through, yeah. which I happen to love. Yeah. To me, anytime we could get to that, that place of, I can't go. And then, you know, learn to work through that ends up being super powerful. Totally. Yeah. Which, I mean, this is a good segue too into, you've talked about it already, but I know that just from knowing you and knowing that you're a climber and all that, I know that connection with nature is a big part of your, uh, your personal life and, and, you know, so can you share a little more about like how that plays a role in, in, I guess you personally, and it doesn't play a role in your, how you, how you show up at work and the work you do. Yeah. We implemented uh, experiential therapy uh, to, to the treatment. And um, I, I will tell you, it is so important that I could have people do all kinds of group therapy and individual therapy in a room. Um, But I got to see uh, the cabin fever that began to happen. And that when we would drive clients out to Mount Charleston or Red Rock or Lake Mead Mm -hmm. and do an activity, um, it ended up being really powerful. And, And what sort of broke my heart is when clients would come back after three years or five years and they would, you know, talk about their experience. They didn't say, oh, my counselor, we really had a great breakthrough. Boy, the talk therapy we did. You know, they say, when I went to Red Rock Canyon and I said goodbye to crystal methamphetamine and I let a balloon go, wow. um, that they remember the experiential events. Hands down, more than all the work we do. They don't talk about the psychiatrist or you know <laughs> that we got them on a good medication. Um, they, they remember the experiential effect over time. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's that's a that's an awesome practice and story. And I think the combination too, obviously, the the, the having the meds right, having the the therapy, the like those doing that deeper work, and then being able to. I think also the experience gives it, it's also a way to integrate some of that work. Um, it's a really cool combination. That's awesome. Yeah. It's important to, uh, you know, to, to get outcomes, which, you know, we're trying, it's really in Sin City, Las Vegas, there's so much access to drugs. There's so much access to alcohol that to undergo a behavior change, the physiological separation I can do in a week or two, um, the psychological change, that seems did meaning meaning the physiology that, that that's like getting over the, the if you're physically addicted to alcohol yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. you have the delirium tremens if yeah. you don't drink if you get you know gastrointestinal problems you can't uh, sleep you're agitated all those physiological symptoms occur if you don't have your substance right we understand those and we can medically treat those in a week or two got it so and have you correct. not go into withdrawal yeah however for you to change behaviorally, for you to change psychologically, it takes at least 90 days. Huh. Um, for me, for me, it was probably two years. It was two years for when I would stub my toe, my first thought wasn't Jack Daniels. 
Mm. Um, you know, when, when that rush would come up yeah. into my brain and my, you know, the, the primitive brain would be triggered. Yeah. Um, I, I would still have those flashes of thoughts. Yeah. Um, you know, I have another uh, funny story at, at six years sober, it might've been seven. I had a, an appendix, my appendix removed. Okay. And, you know, I told the doc and I'm, I'm there and I'm running a rehab and sobriety is my life. And I have my arm hooked up to the IV and the anesthesiologist is like, all right, we're going to get ready for surgery here. We're going to put this in. And they injected me with this uh, sodium pentothal and I was just fine. And it, as it hit me, I jumped up in my bed and I screamed beer run before I went out. <laughs> that is wild. So it's like, and, it's like reptilian brain. Stuff. It is. Yeah. And it's really there inside me still. And, and I got to make sure I manage that on a daily basis. Wow. That's incredible. It's like not, yeah, not even, not even in the, in the awareness. That's what it right. was. Yeah. Dave, well, man, it's been, I could keep talking to you. I could, we could do, we can keep going, but I, you know, I appreciate you being here. I really, I really do. And I think listeners got a ton out of it. So, Thank you so much for being on here. I want to, I, you, there were so many little nuggets in there and I just want to circle back. A lot of times I want, I like to give our listeners like a few tips or challenges, you know, like three things to take away. And I think you named it, you named a few things, <laughs> but can you, do you have any like final tips, maybe two or three like little tips for people that whether they're dealing with addiction or not just to kind of strengthen their mental health and physical health? Um, okay. Well, like I like I talked about with substance abuse, if uh, you know if you're not sure if you're using your phone too much, you know, make write it down, write down. I'm going to have my screen time at less than an hour. Mm. I'm going to write, you know, write it down and see if you could do it. Now, write down. I'm only going to have two beers. Wh whatever it is, write yeah. it down and then do an honest assessment. And if you can't do it. Well, that's, that's insane. If you said you were, you wrote it down and you're not doing it, then it's time to get some, some help from somebody outside. Yeah. And yeah. there's a variety of counselors, uh, whether it's at your spiritual institution or, or through your, your medical plan, um, you know, get some help and, and manage your addiction. If you have it, um, you know, we have this one experience, this one spiritual experience we go through in this physical form right um why not maximize it yeah i love it i love it and i for for those who are just audio only we had a little visitor <laughs> who is that little guy or gal that's biggie smalls biggie uh he's, Small, he's a he's a dog and he comes to the rehab every day and he goes and meets with all the clients he's he's a lover biggie's a big yeah that's that's a big component the, the connection whether it's human or or animal yeah love dogs dave well dave thank you so much for being on the nature unplugged podcast um, and we appreciate you all tuning in you can find our episodes on apple podcast soundcloud spotify wherever you hear wherever you get your podcasts be sure and check out www.natureunplugged.com for more information and resources you can find our detailed show notes on the website and dave i wanted to check in where can people find out more about you and your work uh, you know, people, we have people listening all over the place. What's a good place for, and I'll include it in the show notes as well. Well, first they should go to nature unplugged because you're the bomb. Um, I'm at vegasstronger.org. Check out the website. Awesome. 
Well, Dave, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. And look forward to continuing the conversation. Likewise, I look forward to podcast too. If you think you should go, I will let you go.